this is a very special moment for me. I, I have been an admirer of KPC for a very long time. I've been on staff at Crisis Pregnancy Center for uh, over 15 years now, and, but I have awareness of KPC even before those days, and I, I've been an admirer of this church. I'm so grateful for this church on so many levels that I can't unpackage today, and I'm grateful for it in every phase you've been. You know, as a guy who steps out and sees this thing, you know, I'm kind of outside of it, and I've seen some of the phases. I've seen some of the transition. And like every church, you've, you've had your struggles, right? But another word for struggle is sanctification. And God has been maturing you and purifying you for his glory, for his glory, for his purpose, for our good, for the good of the body, for the good, for the good of what he's gonna do in redeeming this world. And this church is very special in all of that. God has been doing a great thing through KPC for a long time. And so for me to stand here today, it's an honor and it's a privilege. And I love serving Jesus today being here. So thank you. Uh, Pastor Steve, uh, he only gave me two hours this morning. So, um, yeah. And so I feel like I need to rush through this a little bit. But if you would, just go ahead and grab, grab your Bible or your phone, whatever you got to go to the Word. We're going to be in Psalm 139 if you hadn't figured it out from the video. But if you'll turn quickly there, and I just want to say this, because I know, I know you get the sense that today we're going to use that A word, right? We're going to use that word abortion. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And, and as soon as you say that word, man, it just evokes so many different things in the hearts of so many different people. And so what I want to say to you this morning is, please don't prejudge me. Please don't prejudge me. Listen, hang with me through the whole thing. Don't get up. Don't leave. Hang with me through the whole thing because I can guarantee you, you may, I, I just feel confident you might be surprised on where all this goes and how this unpackages, okay? And so how do you like that before you start a sermon? You got to warn people not to leave. So I don't, you know... Um, Psalm 139, if you can turn there, and we have it behind us here, you can see it up on the screen. I'm just going to read Psalm 139, verses 13 through 17. For you, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So KPC, let's just set the record straight right here, right now. You know, uh, your father didn't make you. And your mama didn't make you. God made you, and he used them in the process. How awesome is that? I praise you, for I am fearfully, and that can also be translated awesomely, for I am fearfully and awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And I can give testimony to KPC this morning that my, my soul knows it very well. My youngest son, Sawyer, I have four kids. My youngest son, Sawyer, on August 18th of 2011, um, he was struggling through the night, had a high fever. And you know how it is as a parent, you're just wrestling with, well, you know, do we take him into the emergency room now, get our antibiotics, come home, or do we wait until seven o'clock when we can get into the pediatrician's office and get this taken care of? And so we just tried to wait it out, but it was like two or three, getting close to four in the morning. He was struggling. 
And Karen and I, we just saw him suffering, and we just said, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and take him on over to CHKD. Just deal with this right now. We can't wait any longer. And so we went over to CHKD, and we thought for sure we'd just go in, get our antibiotics, and leave. But, but we didn't leave until like a month later. Because when we, when we came in that morning, um, we found out for the first time that uh, Sawyer, Sawyer's kidneys had failed. And so within hours, he was in ICU where he started his first dialysis treatment. And, 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 and so through that month, uh, God, there was just so much, and I, I don't have time to talk about it, but so much was happening. And, but my boy, you know, we, we were in the hospital that month, and we went back many weeks after that. And, but after that month, we, we came home, and we were doing a uh, peritoneal dialysis at home. So we were doing dialysis. It started at 16 hours a day, every day. For the first, that didn't last too long. It, it dropped down to 10 hours a day, which after 16, that's a, that's a blessing. It dropped down to 10 hours a day that he was doing dialysis. And he was doing dialysis 10 hours a day, every day, for the rest of 2011. And then 2012 came across, and he, he had dialysis every day of 2012 until March 20th of 2012, when my hero wife, Karen, donated her kidney to him. Uh, transplant day is a remarkable day. It's one of the worst days ever, and it's one of the best days ever. And on that day, so much going on, but there was this one moment that I want to share with you this morning. It was just, there were many remarkable moments, but this is just one of the big ones that stand out. And it's that moment when the transplant surgeon over at Norfolk General removes my wife's kidney from her body and then personally escorts that kidney over to the children's hospital and places it in my son. That is a powerful moment. And that's such a big moment that Nurse Melissa will come out and give us an update on that. That the kidney, she came out, she was very excited. She said, the kidney had arrived and it was a big, healthy kidney. And I can assure you, like many hours later when I had just a few minutes with Karen, all I told her was, honey, you had a healthy kidney. <laughs> right? Guys know what I'm talking about here, right? You never tell your wife there's any part, I don't care what part it is, that's big, right? So you just say, honey, you have a healthy, very healthy kidney, honey. That was a beautiful kidney. It was very healthy. But for this morning, you need to know not only that it was healthy, but it was big. It was a very big kidney. You're taking an adult kidney and placing it inside a five-year-old's frame who's kind of small to begin with because he didn't grow very well with kidney failure. So here's this little guy, and, and the doctors, they, when they placed the kidney inside of Sawyer's body, they, they tucked it in there, they literally squeezed it in there, and they zipped them up, and they wouldn't call it zipping it up, but that's what they did. They squeezed it in there and zipped them up, and it was so big and it was so tight that it immediately caused him problems for weeks and months to come because it was pressing so hard on his liver, and, it, and, and so that created a whole new problem for us. But here's the thing. 
the moment that Dr. Kalana installed, and he wouldn't call it installing, (laughs) installed that kidney inside my son. The minute he put it online, it started working. And here's the thing, that big, healthy kidney, from that moment on, in the weeks and months to come, what it did was it began to shrink. And it would shrink, and it would shrink, and it would shrink until it became the perfect size for my son at his height and his weight and where he is in life right now. And that was in 2012. And ever since then, that kidney has now been growing with him as he grows. Oh my goodness. We are fearfully and awesomely and wonderfully made. Oh, my soul knows it well, and I can testify this morning. This God is a mighty God. Can you imagine all of the engineering that goes into creating a kidney, a kidney? We cannot even begin as human beings, even as doctors and specialists, we can't even begin to understand all that God has done to create just that one thing within us, and it's not the only thing. It is miraculous. It is awesome. And my soul knows it very well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. I have a good friend, Dr. Alan McFarlane, who's a pastor, and I heard him preach on Psalm 139 one time, and he said, you know, if God is doing something in secret, you best leave it alone. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Another word for earth is, you know, symbolic of womb. You know, you're intricately woven in the womb of your mother. And then verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. (laughs) I love Psalm 139. Did you get that? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. This great God, your creator God, he recognized you before you were formed. Some people would say, Man, you're just a blob of tissue. You're a clump of cells. And God knew your name. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, he's known as the father of modern genetics. And I'm going to read a quote to you. It's kind of a long quote, so hang in there. I, got, I still have an hour and 45. Um, <laughs> Dr. Jerome Lejeune He said this, he said, life has a very long history, but each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of its conception. The material link is the molecular thread of DNA. In each reproductive cell, the ribbon of DNA, roughly one meter long, is cut into 23 pieces or chromosomes. Now get this, as soon as the 23 paternally derived chromosomes are united through fertilization with the 23 maternal ones, the full genetic meeting necessary to express 
all inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered and personal constitution takes place. He goes on to say, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. Folks, listen, you are fully alive and fully human at the moment of fertilization. Continuing in verse 16, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So before you were formed, he knew you. But not only that, before you were formed, before you even had one day, one day, all of your days have been ordained for you. And then, man, verse 17, so many people can just skip over this next verse so quickly. You might even get tied up a little bit in what it's trying to say, but, man, don't skip verse 17. It says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. (laughs) He thinks about you so much. Like if I could just get in a room with each and every one of you individually and look in you in the eyes, I'll just say to you this morning, he thinks about you so much. He, he knows you. He looks so deeply into you. And I know, and I know the struggle because some of us just don't believe that. You know, I have no problem believing there's a God Almighty. I just think it would take so much more faith to be an atheist. You know what I mean? I do. I just think that would be a real faith battle. I struggle not with whether or not God exists. The wrestling match for me for so many times at different times in my life was, does this great big God who can do so much, does he really think about me? Does he really care that much? And man, we have to say amen to it because if he did, why would he join us, become man? Why would he die for us? He is God. He resurrected. He started the the path to new life, to, to, to resurrected life that we'll all walk on one day. And he sits at the right hand throne of God. And to do all that and not care about us, I know that's kind of hard to believe too. But in my humanness, sometimes I just get a little challenged, and I think, does he really care that much? And then I think about Jesus. I think about Christmas. I think about the resurrection. But man, my my, my mind goes to verses like this. It is a gift because he thinks about you so much. I mean, if you have your... Bible and you go back to the first few verses of Psalm 139. It's not on the screen, but I'm just going to read it real quick to let it wash over you. But just listen to this. Going back to the first part of this chapter, it says, oh Lord, this is David, oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, you know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all, all means all, all my ways. Even before the, a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Oh, this is so beautiful. You hem me in. Behind and before 
and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We can't even begin to process just how much God thinks about us and cares about us. We can't process it. One day we'll process it very well. One day we'll process it very well. You know, there was that day in the garden where we walked with God and we talked with God and we were tight. And then in our fallenness, that changed everything. Everything became broken. But we know, we know, amen, church? What started in a garden is going to end in a city, and one day we walk again with him, and the centerpiece is that garden, and we will never doubt again how much God cares and how much he thinks about us. Isn't that awesome? we got to hold on to that hope because that's where this thing is going. It gets a little complicated nowadays, but don't let this world overwhelm you. He thinks about you all the time. But here's where it begs a question. And isn't Psalm 139 awesome? Are you with me? (laughs) My two hours is not done yet. You got to stay with me for the whole thing. Isn't Psalm 139 awesome? He did not have to give us this, but he chose in his infinite wisdom to do it. So when we look at something like Psalm 139 and we quickly wrestle with the things we just wrestled with and talked about, And you think of Psalm 139 in the backdrop, it just begs this question, especially nowadays, it just does, it begs this question, like, knowing the work that God does in that secret, sacred place of the womb, knowing what he's doing, because this is just a, a sneak peek, Psalm 139 is beautiful, it's a sneak peek of what he's doing in that secret, sacred place, and knowing clearly what he's doing, it begs this question. Would we dare, would we dare interfere with him when he's doing that work? And you already know the answer. The answer is yes. Yes, Lord, we would dare. We've dared over 57 million times since 1973. We dare to interfere with his work on average two. 1,740 times a day in this country. And here in Southampton Roads, and just talking about Southampton Roads, not including the peninsula, in 2014, and this is the latest statistic that we have from the Virginia Department of Health, in 2014, we dared to interfere with God Almighty when he's doing that work in the womb, five thousand four hundred and seven times in one year just here in Southampton Roads and you know I can throw numbers at you out all morning long but you can get lost in numbers and just to kind of break that 5,407 down to you what that equates to is for every three children born in Southampton Roads one's going to lose its life to an abortion This is the best way I can describe it to you. And this is about the nicest way I can say it. But we need to say it. He creates four, and we snatch away one. 
And that is our reality in this community. He creates this one, and he knits this one together, and he knits this one together, and he knits this one together, and we snatch away one. I was reflecting on Psalm 139 one time, and I just <clears throat> happened to be in Isaiah later that, in that reading. And I came across Isaiah 45, and, and I don't even know why I was in Isaiah that morning, but I had just been reading Psalm 139, and I was reflecting on that, and I, and I came to Isaiah 45, and the message there just struck me. And so I'm not, I'm not going to comment in between verses. I just want to read Isaiah 45, 9 through 12 to you. And I'll have it on the screen, but you could just listen. Listen to this. And thinking about Psalm 139 and all that I've already shared with you this morning, just let me read this to you. Verse 9, woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earth and pot. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the works of my hands? I made the earth and I created man on it. Another translation of verse 11 would say, will you question me concerning my children and the works of my hand? Would you dare question me? And the answer is yes, Lord. We question you over a million times a year. And this is, this is God's response to a people and to a nation who just question him. Like if I give you the context of Isaiah 45, it's this, that the prophet Isaiah, 150 years before the events took place, prophesied, God gave him a word. Can you, isn't that awesome? <laughs> Scripture's so awesome. God gave this to him 150 years before the events took place, and they took place, and the events were this. Isaiah prophesied, but these were the events, that King Cyrus, the Persian king, would be the one to help set the Jews free from the Babylonian captivity. And not only that, he also encouraged the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple. And God anticipated the response that the Jews would give here in Isaiah 45. These folks were like, you're using a pagan king to free us and to tell us to rebuild our temple? Like they were striving against God, basically the audacity of you to, to use a pagan king to do this. They questioned God's plan. They questioned God's plan. I mean, can you imagine Pastor Saeed, as he's getting out yesterday, really caring about which president is on duty as he's being released? I think he's just praising God today. Couldn't you imagine it? Yeah. Yeah. But these folks were picky, <laughs> and they didn't want the pagan king doing this, and, and God gave them this response for just questioning his plan. If this is his response for questioning his plan, what could possibly be his response for interfering with it? 
the verses say here, and, and this is to a nation. This is to a nation. You know, God says, whoa. That's only three letters in that word, but that's not a word you ever want to hear from God. Woe, woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot, you're a pot, and you're striving against me? Woe to you. Woe to you. You know, we have grown so comfortable with God's patience and restraint as a nation. Now listen, in the remaining hour and a half that I have, (laughs) I want to speak to two groups of people because I know so far this has been really heavy. This has been really heavy. And I just want to speak to two different groups of people. And the first group of people I want to speak to this morning, and I, I don't know who you are, but I know you're here. That would be those of you who have been impacted by abortion. I just want you to hear my heart very clearly. Like when I come, no matter how many times I come into a pulpit, I come humbly. If you listen closely, you will not find condemnation from me. I come very humbly. Focus on the family reports that one in seven women in the church have had an abortion. And that number's conservative. It's probably closer to one in six at this point, one in five. But regardless of the stats, we just know you're here. I know, sir, you're here. You paid for it. And so the word I have for you is the only word that's worthwhile in the first place, and that's the word of God. And I just want to read this verse to you and let this just wash over you. It's a classic passage, but how could we forget Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Free. Free from the law of sin and death. And so, ma'am and sir, again, I don't know you, But I can say this with great confidence, and anybody that would challenge me on it has poor theology. But abortion is not the unpardonable sin. Can I get a right on or an amen? Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. So I just want to say, with the most sincere heart, because you have no, you don't know me that well, but man, I get a little shaky at this moment because I'm just so humbled. But I just want to say to you, ma'am or sir, this, that Jesus, Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life so that you would not have to because of what happened to your little one. And I'd say this morning, recognize him as your great rescuer and follow him all the days of your life because in Jesus, there is no condemnation. 
In Jesus, there is peace. Can you imagine peace back in your heart again? You've been struggling with this thing for too long. You can have peace. In Jesus, there is forgiveness. Ask him, he'll forgive you. In Jesus, there is grace. In Jesus, there is mercy. In Jesus, there is freedom. Freedom. You don't have to be bound to this any longer. You know what's amazing to me? The, the dynamic of this in the 15 years that I've been a part of this ministry is I see so many men and women who know here that Jesus has set them free, but they don't believe it here. Like you still are so struggling. You walk around like a person with shackles on your ankles. And if you ever look down, you'll notice they're not there. They're not there. You've been set free. Oh, that sounds so simple. It wasn't simple for Jesus. You've been set free. Walk in that. Look down. They're not there. So my remaining hour... (laughs) I want to speak to the one last group of people, and this is where I end. This is where I end. And this last group of people would be absolutely everybody in this room. And I would say to you with great conviction intervene for your most defenseless neighbor. Intervene. Speak up. Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You know, Jesus, Jesus sets the tone for us. And I remember as a baby Christian reading that word where he said, you know, whatever you did do for them, you didn't do for me. Whatever you did do for them, you did for me. Jesus looked at the most marginalized and knew that we would step over them and forget about them and move on from them. And Jesus said, no way. I love them. And so much that I'm going to say, hey, you ignore, you neglect, you don't stand up for the least of these. You're not standing up for me. And so as a baby Christian, when I got that word, I thought, well, Jesus, who is the least of these in our community? And really what I wanted to answer the question was, well, who's the least of the least? Because maybe I should start there. Jesus is serious about this. He's tied into all kinds of things in Matthew 25. And I'm thinking, it's that serious. Jesus, then who is the least of the least of these in our community? This is my conviction, my personal belief, but I'm not ashamed of it to say to you that I can't think of any other group of people more or less than children on their way to an abortion facility. On this side of eternity, their ultimate destiny is in a trash can. If you can make the argument that somebody's more or less than that, that's not a good argument. It's whatever, you know, it's between you and God. But that's what he burnt in my heart. Listen, I'm at KPC. I've admired you for a long time. You know one of the reasons why I admired you? Because you got a great life ethic. I've seen it in all phases. I've seen it in all phases. I've seen this church speak up when no one else would speak up. No one else. I'm gonna tell you, it's hard to find people to speak up. You know what, as hard as this is, 
We got the love of Jesus Christ on our side. We can navigate through this. We don't have to leave here this morning, do we? Because scripture has got us covered in every direction here. We can tackle this as a church, as a body, right? And KPC has, you got a long history of it. But at this moment in time, I'm not talking to KPC, I'm talking to you. If I could just get you in that room for a second, I'm talking to you. And I wanna share this story with you. There was a guy, it's a true story, happened a couple of years ago, his name was Gerald Wright. And uh, he lived in Michigan, he was outside of a convenience store. And outside of that convenience store, he was shot. True story. He was shot outside that convenience store. And as soon as he got shot, he ran towards the convenience store to find refuge, I guess, or help, or whatever he needed. And he ran into that convenience store, and as soon as he got inside, as soon as he opened the door to the convenience store, Mr. Wright passed. I mean, right in the doorway. And if the cameras were not rolling inside the convenience store, I don't think you would believe what I have to share with you next. But it's a true story. The camera shows Mr. Wright falling in the doorway. And then for many minutes, you never saw one person come to his aid. Just the opposite. For many minutes, like it was excruciating for me to watch this video. I watched the whole thing. And I never saw anyone come to his aid. For many minutes, all you saw were people stepping over Mr. Wright to get into the convenience store. And you know, it wasn't easy. I mean, he's in the doorways blocking it. They're stepping over and and they kind of have to shove the door to get in there, and they don't want the door to hit them, so they move away from the door, and then the door lands on Mr. Wright, and then it bounces off of him. And everything in my being, to just watch that screen, and watch that door open and slam, and open and slam. And these people, for whatever reason, They just went about their day. They just went in to get what they needed. I don't know what they got, gum, Slurpees, I don't know. They'd get it and they'd leave. Does that bother you at all? Does it? Then help me with this. I'm gonna wax philosophical for just a moment. What's the difference between Mr. Wright and the 5,407 children from 2014 and, and the thousands more from last year? And you know what, this is a shoe fit moment. I don't know you very, I don't know most of you here. So I'm not judging you, I'm just asking a question. It's a shoe fit moment. I just want to ask the question, what did you do? What did you do? How did you respond? If you would, write this down for me really quick. Just write this down. If you got a phone, you got your iPhone, you got your Android, you got your Note 5, just text yourself this, okay? Just do this really quick. I've only got 57 minutes left, so you gotta go quicker, okay? Just text this to yourself, and I just want you to write it down. I don't want you to look it up. Please don't look this up. Just hang with me for a second. I just want you to write it down. You ready? Write this down. It's just a reference. Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 11 through 12. Please don't look it up. Just write it down. Proverbs, 
chapter 24, verses 11 through 12. I'm going to recite it to you. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? One more time. Rescue, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And if you say, but Lord, but God, we didn't, we didn't know anything about this. We didn't know, we didn't know, Lord. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Doesn't God know what we know? And I know maybe you didn't know the stats, but you knew something was going on. You knew something was going on. And this is a shoe fit moment because maybe you did. Maybe you did with somebody. Maybe you just did it different ways and maybe God, you know. But you knew. And I just want to tell you, anytime I speak, it's for me. Because <laughs> I need it all the time. Let, let me sympathize with you for a moment. Out of sight, out of mind. You believe that? It's so true. You know, unless it's in your face, and it can't be in your face because it would just it would just depress so many people, it would just stress so many people out. You just we can't bear to look at it. And and we don't, you know, we don't we don't show graphic pictures to women in our clinics. We don't do all that. I guess what I could say is we can't handle the truth. But I get it. It's out of sight and it's out of mind. I get that. I get that you can't hear the silent screams. I get that. I also get this. Like you, you know, and I think this is the majority of people. I think this is the majority of people. Out of sight, out of mind. And you know, but the truth is you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. Like you don't know that woman that's walking in that day. You're not familiar with them. That's not your experience. And so it's easy not to do something. It just is. And there's so many things crying for attention, and I get that. I get that. So as I close in my last two minutes, see, I tricked you the whole time. You were really expecting two hours. You are starting to believe that, weren't you? In the last two minutes, let me just give you four baby steps. And they're baby steps, meaning you can do them. And you can at least do these things. Four baby steps. Number one, I asked you to write that verse down. So in this next week, I'm going to challenge you to read that verse one time a day. It will take you seconds, not minutes. One time a day and pray to God and ask him this one question. God, what would you have me to do? Can we just start there? For seven days, just read that scripture. God, what would you have me to do? Baby step number two, pray. Oh, that's so easy to throw out there, isn't it? This is just a softball, pray. That's a ba- that is a baby step, isn't it? But the question is, when is the last time you ever, when's the last time you prayed for the preborn? When's the last time you prayed for their moms and their dads? Here's one for me. You want, this is the one that gets me, convicts me, and, and I still struggle with it, even though I know I'm struggling with it. Proverbs 6 says that God, he hates hands that shed innocent blood. And I need to pray for that abortionist. 
I need to pray for that abortionist. The moment I decide I'm not gonna pray for the abortionist is the moment I just told God, you know what, God? His pit is deeper than my pit, and Jesus didn't have to work as hard to pull me out of my pit as he's gonna have to pull him out of his pit, and that's really bad theology, isn't it? No, 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 no. Jesus rescues abortionists. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen abortionists come to Jesus and follow him the rest of the days of their life. I know them. I know some of these people. Baby step number three. This is going to sound crazy, but it is such a baby step. There's a table out there, and I'm going to ask you, to beat the trend and actually have a really long line of people who will sign up to be on the Crisis Pregnancy Center mailing list. And there's a lot of people in here already on it, so you can just move on, grab your bottle and move on. But I know what you're thinking, oh man, this is the salesmanship in this guy because he's trying to hook us right now, get him on the mailing list. Let me just be really honest with you. We don't, we'd like, we don't have enough money to bug you with letters all the time asking you for money. <laughs> so that's not really where I'm going. But here's why I do this. Here's why I do this, because if you say you don't know how to respond, I can guarantee you, you get on this mailing list, you'll find a place, regardless of your skill set, regardless of how much time you have, regardless of how much money you have, you'll find something, something. And I'm unashamed. This is an amazing ministry. The Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater through our Kime Centers. Kime is the, is the Hebrew word originating, or, uh, the origin of that is life. These are the life centers. Also happens to be the last name of Janet Kime, our founder. But through our life centers, our pregnancy medical clinics, our, human, our, our pregnancy resource centers, through that, we serve on average 1,700 individual women every year. Last year, in 2015, we know of, and there were many more, there were many more, but these are the ones we have names for. There were 585 lives spared from death. Because of God's work through the hearts, in the hearts of these women through this ministry. Some of these moms, they were set on having that abortion. Some of these moms, some of these babies, their dads were pushing mom into the abortion facility. It drives me crazy. I see it all the time. Dad's just coercing and abusing and pushing. Not all dads. Some dads are begging them not to. But some of these dads are pushing them towards it. Some of, their, some of the grandparents were pushing the mom to go to the abortion facility. But in the end, for these 585 plus, love one out. I'm unashamed, and God is moving. It is a powerful moment when a baby sees the beating heart of, when a mom sees the beating heart of her baby up on that ultrasound screen for the first time. Can you, if you've seen it, raise your hand. Isn't it powerful? And so, yeah, so through our clinics, we get that privilege of introducing, you'd be surprised how much we don't say in the exam room. There's so much to be said just looking at the screen. It's a powerful moment. We have a clinic in Virginia Beach, we have a clinic in Norfolk, and in months from now, we're gonna have a new clinic in the city of Chesapeake in Greenbrier near Lowe's on Battlefield Boulevard. So I'm unapologetic. And then baby step number four is this. And this is gonna be actually more of a, of a larger baby step because it's gonna require you to either come out of your house in a morning or not and, but or in an evening one time. And I would just challenge you, I don't have time to tell you everything about what God's doing in the Ministry of Crisis Pregnancy Center of Todd Water, but it is relevant. It is bigger than what you could imagine. And so on February 9th, 
we have our orientation of the ministry. It's called volunteer orientation, but you don't have to volunteer. Just come and listen, February 9th. So if you go to that table, tell them you're interested in CPC 101. There's no checkbox. That's just my fourth step for you this morning. Baby steps. Baby steps. Stop stepping over them. Let's pray. Father God, your word is so awesome. Lord, thank you for that sneak peek in that secret, sacred place of the womb. Thank you for freedom. Thank you that that woman this morning got to hear that there are no shackles on her ankles. I pray for her right now, Lord, and I'll just ask that you would, from this moment on, help her to walk in that. I don't know her, but I know she's here. And I'm just going to beg and ask you, Lord, to, to help her to understand her freedom. And Father God, as I am the chief of sinners, forgive me when I know and I don't respond. And I pray that with your spirit, because anything else but with your spirit is worthless, but with your spirit, Lord, Lord, would you move through us to respond? Lord, would you do something amazing in Southampton Roads in a way that life would prevail, in a way that every other part of this country has to take notice, has to see your glory, and has to respond? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.